You were born at exactly the right time to change everything. This is Dan. Welcome to Sustainability Guy. This is a review of Eric Holthouse's book. It's called The Future Earth, A Radical Vision for What's Possible in the Age of Warming. The book was published by HarperCollins in 2020, and I recently read it. Eric Holthouse is a meteorologist and journalist who lives in St. Paul, Minnesota. He has written for the Wall Street Journal, Slate, Grist, and The Correspondent. He is also one of my inspirations, and when I finished this book and tweeted about it at Holthouse, he retweeted me, so I think we're boys. The book, like a 9 out of 10, or 9.5 out of 10, it's, it's dynamite. So in a nutshell, here's, you know, here's my tweet from August 30th. Thank you, Eric Holthouse, for the future Earth. Just finished it. I appreciate the use of past tense when outlining the future as if it already happened. Tons of great stuff in there. UBI, four-day work week, circular economy, citizens' assemblies, small-scale agriculture, ripping up highways, elimination of single-family zoning, cultural and societal shifts towards no slow travel, and perhaps most importantly, global cooperation throughout all of this. It's a big dream, but we got to dream big because, well, we have to. We can do this. Raised fist emoji. So that's what I tweeted to him on August 30th. The book is divided into two parts. Part one is called A Living Emergency, and it's about where we stand right now regarding climate change. And part two is split into three sections. Section one is called Catastrophic Success, and it outlines the years 2020 to 2030. Section two is called Radical Stewardship, and it outlines the years 2030 to 2040. And section three is called New Technologies and New Spiritualities, and it outlines the years 2040 to 2050. There's an epilogue at the end with grief exercises and imagination exercises, basically concrete ways to bring people together to talk about what a better future can look like. And I think the most interesting part of the book is, is that part two, about the future, those three decades, is written in the past tense. It's similar to something called a futures protocol that I've done with my students before, where they write down how the year has gone at the beginning of the year. It's a visioning of the future at the beginning of an academic year. And I don't love the practice in school, but I have done it several times. And I think that Holthouse's choice of verb tense is powerful because it puts the reader in the future as if all of this has happened and the year is 2050, which is 30 years from now. And basically, his argument in his book is that we need to do everything that he is predicting. So some highlights from part one, A Living Emergency. I really identified with his take on global warming and how that affects mental health. On page 19, he writes, quote, There are days when a deep anxiety takes over and I'm paralyzed with worry about what will happen if we don't radically change course, end quote. 
And that quote definitely hits home today. And today is September 6th, 2020, the day I'm recording this. And today, Southern California is seeing a terrible heat wave and smashing of temperatures, especially around LA. And thinking about my friends, Mike and Anna, and just all of the other humans who live there, and how those temperatures, especially the ones above 110 degrees Fahrenheit, are not conducive to human beings. And I just looked on Twitter, and you know, there's not a lot of verified broken records right now. It's 6.41 p.m. Eastern right now. But I think in the next few hours or tomorrow, huge swaths of California will have record-breaking temperatures and temperatures not seen for hundreds of thousands of years, right? Since, you know, humans have been alive um, that have not been seen in that area of North America. Um, and and that, that anxiety and that, that, that paralysis is true. And it comes from this, this empathy of just, you know, wanting everything to be better. Um, so I really, that quote really resonated with me in part one. He also talks about how humans are now in this liminal space. And so I looked up liminal on Merriam-Webster, and the second definition of liminal is of, relating to, or being in an intermediate state, phase, or condition. So it's like this purgatory almost, where it's extremely mentally difficult to wrangle with the fact that the Earth is right now 1.2 degrees Celsius hotter. No humans have ever lived on an Earth under these conditions. So it's like we are in limbo, and we don't know what to do. Uh, nobody's been, been here before. Nobody's been in a place where we're going, and we need radical change and catastrophic success, according to Holdhouse, uh, to prevent the worst scenarios from playing out. And I also love what he says on page 51. Quote, systemic change calls for courage on all scales, in all places, no matter if you feel ready or not. The world needs you. And this reminds me of all these conversations I'm having with family and friends and colleagues saying, look, if you've never thought of yourself as a climate activist before, and even if it's not an activist, um, just simply someone who cares about this and talks about this and reads about this, we need you now. You have to be in. We need everyone. And um, he also notes on page 56 that he's stopped flying. And so that's like Peter Kalmus and all those people on No Fly Climate Sci or Flight Free USA, just like me. And he's another human who is shifting social norms to anti-fossil fuel norms. Um, it takes a lot of people doing that to shift social norms. So that's all the stuff. That's some of the stuff that I liked in part one, A Living Emergency. So part two begins with the 2020s. And the first section is called 2020 to 2021, the spark, the wildfire, and the backlash. And it's about these two years that we're living in right now, and Holt House predicts a series of natural disasters in the summer of 2020 uh, that are coming true or that have sort of come true. There's a quote on page 91, quote, we watched in horror as catastrophe after catastrophe materialized, end quote. And so that's literally what we're seeing now. The, the wildfires in California, the second, third, and fourth biggest wildfires ever in California history are literally burning right now in California. 
there's flooding in Sudan, there's typhoons hitting Japan, and um, you know the list goes on and on for what's happening in summer 2020. On page 92, he continues, quote, people who just a few months before had never considered themselves to be particularly involved were organizing their friends and neighbors and plotting a different course. And this is exactly what I'm doing, talking to everybody about it, recording a podcast, bringing it to the forefront, trying to shift social norms, and trying to wake everybody up. Uh, he mentioned coronavirus one time in the whole book, and so the fact that huge numbers of people or, or that some people don't want to assemble um, in groups outside um, is not something he predicted exactly, um, but that's that. And, and some of this stuff is just kind of throwing darts. You know, he's a meteorologist, but he claims on 102, page 102, that, quote, in November, right before the presidential election, came the death knell for the system. A freak hurricane made landfall near Washington, D.C. during an emergency session of Congress and served as a poetic and symbolic capstone on the worst hurricane season the world had ever known, end quote. And we'll see. Of course, I don't want that to happen, but... Um, I don't know if that'll happen <laughs> right right before the election in D.C. But he continues in the 2020s with things that will happen, like Congress banning all fossil fuel industry advertisements, a national car buyback program, statehood being earned by D.C., Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, Guam, the Northern Mariana Islands, and American Samoa, uh, a flag with 56 stars, and he continues. Um, when he gets to the 2030s, he talks about leaving capitalism as we know it behind and using words like degrowth and circular economy or regenerative economy. He talks about citizens' assemblies and how those will have a huge impact on decision-making. And on page 134, while predicting the years 2033 to 2038, he, he writes, quote, the default lifestyle of a single-family home in a car-based neighborhood started to become obsolete, end quote. And in the margin, I wrote, my biggest dream, and I know I speak of this often on this podcast, but that really is my biggest dream, is the removal of the car and the car-based neighborhood. It's individualistic, and it doesn't make people happy. He continues with his predictions, looking at infrastructure on page 141, quote, ripping up concrete from existing infrastructure, which proved to have immediate short and long-term effects on reducing flooding and heat waves. And this is also my dream, to not build any new roads or highways, because it's so carbon-intensive. Uh, we must invest in pedestrian, bicycle, train, and bus infrastructure, and making sure that the trains and the buses are electric, but no more space for cars, simply because the, the cement and the upkeep of the roads themselves is so carbon-intensive. He continues with the phasing out of air travel through social norms and regulation and the introduction of universal basic income and the four-day work week. And my extrapolation there is that there is more community, more joy, more love, more leisure time, more sense of place uh, and a happier society because of working less in a universal basic income. He moves to the 2040s and speaks about drawdown, the concept of drawing CO2 out of the atmosphere, and the urgency with which that must take place as well. Even in the 2040s, there is an urgency. 
On page 178, he says that, quote, by 2045, carbon dioxide levels were approaching 500 parts per million. And just hearing 500 ppm is terrifying. Uh, the record right now is 417. We're now early September. I think it's 410 or 411 parts per million. And it's going to go back up. And in the winter and spring, it's going to break 417. But just thinking about 500 in that threshold is just not a fun thing to think about. He goes on to talk about drawdown and how hundreds of millions of small-scale carbon farmers will be paid to grow food the right way to help draw down carbon from the atmosphere. And so I'm cherry-picking in you know, different parts of his predictions from 2020 to 2050. Um, it's a lot of stuff, and I, there was a lot of stuff that I highlighted in the book that I'm, I'm not talking about now, but it's a radical vision of the future, and it is hard to imagine because... So much change has to happen so fast. And those with money and power and influence, the fossil fuel industry, the car industry, and for whom the status quo is working, there will be pushback when people want to make these changes to society. But reading this book provided me with courage and more fire, and that if Laura and I are to have a child, this is the world I want that child to inherit one of catastrophic success. But the only way to get there is through extreme societal change of all parts as fast as possible. How we eat, how we transport ourselves, how we travel uh, for leisure, uh, how we produce electricity, all of these things have to change really, really fast. So I loved this book, and you should totally read it, and I think it will fire you up or at least help you realize what the future could look like. Uh, and the fact that it lays everything out very clearly and concretely makes it easier to imagine the future. And I know I began this episode with Holthouse's quote, you were born at exactly the right time to change everything. And that quote reminds me of another one from The Lord of the Rings. It's an exchange between Frodo and Gandalf. Frodo is scared to take the ring to Mordor. Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf responds, So do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>